What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on a Tuesday, the opening of the North American leg of NH- the NHL schedule for this season. Uh, gets going tonight. Canucks, of course, get going tomorrow. It is Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks Insider, Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. You can always hit us up. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And, of course, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Lots to get into from an on-ice perspective. Canucks have already practiced today. Uh, Some news and notes to get into from there. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux at some point. Of course, they're going to play Edmonton in Edmonton tomorrow to get their season going. Yesterday, (laughs) something of an achievement for the Vancouver Canucks transfer as they hit the upper salary cap limit exactly before placing Michael Furland on LTIR and and capture the full value of of his contract, the first team to ever do so with an LTIR deal. Pretty incredible. And this is one of those things that doesn't pay off today, right? You know, they got 22 guys on their 23-man roster, which is more than I expected they'd be able to do with just one body on LTI. And yet, that 22nd guy's Danila Klimovich. I don't think Bruce Boudreaux is going to look at that as a particularly enticing depth no. option for the club. So really, it's effectively a 21-man roster with Klimovich sort of making the team over Carlson because the numbers fit just so, right? Like truly this like perfect puzzle that just came together. And you think about all of the luck that you need to get there. And that's not to ten- take no, anything no, no. away Be- from some tremendous work that Patrick Alvin and Emily Castingay and company did. But you need all of these weird like things you don't control to happen just so like. For example, the fact that, you know, Klimovich's deal fits so perfectly to make a round number off of the 39 days of prorated two-way uh, cap hit that Philip D. Giuseppe represents on IR, right? Like, it just, like, clicks exactly, right? It takes that Jason Dickinson trade. It takes Justin Dowling, who would have had a more expensive cap hit than um, D. Giuseppe mm-hmm. does because he mm-hmm. spent more time on the roster last year, getting healthy just in time to clear waivers and be reassigned. Like, the amount of considerations and the amount of moving parts that need to in this moment come together and just be captured in this perfect snapshot 86 million exactly furland on ir the full three and a half million in space gained that's really good stuff that's uh you know 4d chess 4d chess from the canucks run office (laughs) we haven't said that unironically in a long time so so caps off to a a rookie general manager a rookie capologist Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in casting tremendous work and this is one of those things it doesn't matter today, really. They don't have any cap space, right? Like, they're pressed mm-hmm. up against it. But to capture that full amount is going to, at some point this season, right, when the grind wears on and you're down to your ninth defenseman and you're down to your 14th forward, it's going to help them. It could well be the difference come March, right, between this club being able to retain salary in a trade if they're selling or – uh, add another body in a trade if they're buying or or like avoid playing a game short a player right if they need to call somebody lineup. up exactly yeah. right like those are the margins that are going to matter come the end of the year very rare that you don't have some kind of rounding error impact your <laughs> your perfect capture uh that's you know 
like Pokemon Snap quality capture by the Vancouver Canucks front office. Kudos to them. I don't understand that reference, but uh, I assume it's a very positive one in this light. And you know, the point is you said there's, there has to be a certain amount of luck, but obviously just for all the numbers to work out to literally the perf to the dollar, right? There's, there's an element of luck there. Having said that, you also only get you only find this scenario. It's not as if we were all looking at it and saying, "Oh, they've the the perfect solution has fallen into their laps." Right? They had to do the work to find oh, including this particular the trade. formula, including right? the trade, including right? the trade. And you only do that by grinding and you know, okay, what if we do this? What if we do this? Going through a hundred different scenarios, tossing it out, coming at it with fresh eyes. Like there's a lot of hours to go through eliminating all the possibilities before you arrive on this perfect one. Well I'd add that in conversations with senior management in the lead up to the deadline, right? I thought I I think if you'd told senior Canucks management, if you'd given them 10K, will you be within 10K of the upper limit? Which by the way is a tremendous capture. Right? Like if you're under a hundred K I consider that like very good work, very good work, considering how complex this is, right? If you'd asked them over under 10K an hour and a half before, I think they would have bet the under, mm -hmm. right? Like that this all came to be in exactly the right way with, you know, the fact that they didn't have to paper down guys like Rathbone and um, guys like Hoaglander, more importantly, whose bonuses change if he's, you know, um, if he doesn't start on the opening day lineup. Uh, guys like Amon, same thing, right? It, it's going to happen to Carlson now. Carlson on recall is going to be 925, right? I don't know if they have the space, for example, without putting an additional body on LTI to recall Carlson like at the end of the games tonight when their roster becomes unfrozen for the purposes of reassignments. I don't know that they're going to be able to just flip Klimovich and um, Carlson without adding an additional body to LTI, for example, right? Like that's how tight. <laughs> the margin is when you capture it perfectly as the Canucks did. So, you know, obviously still some things that they're going to have to work through still some things that are complicated, but this is a, this is a good moment. I often say you need to win in the boardroom mm. before you're going to win on the ice. Uh, been a while since the Canucks won in the boardroom like this, even though cap management has tended to be this or like the day to day cap management. Yeah. Not the long term. Who do you sign? How do you allocate from allocation yes, yes. has long been a strength of this organization. Um, I think it was fair to wonder if, you know, a, a rookie general manager and, and a rookie assistant general manager managing the cap would have the same level of uh, success as the team has had in this narrow area previously. They passed their first test. They did it with flying colors, historic flying colors. Can't wait for the banner raising on the 22nd. <laughs> Absolutely. That was my initial reaction as well. Raise the banner. Hey, hey we flags been, fly need, forever. Needed some good vibes. And there you go. There's some good front office vibes. I loved, I loved the Justin McElroy tweet about it though. That was so good. What was it? Justin McElroy had a tweet about yelling at clouds. Um, <laughs> Back in my day, this is from Justin McElroy, of course, the vital CBC yes, municipal yes. affairs reporter. Back in my day, we didn't congratulate a team for manipulating contracts to perfectly fit an artificial salary cap. We congratulated them for winning. And wait, is this my actual take? Am I becoming old? Help. Um, that's a perfect summary. At the end of the day, you know, as much as I like to talk about cap machinations and, and all of this stuff, like, let's remember that, you know, it's brutally unfun compared to the other topics we could be discussing in a league with a different system. Yeah. Um, 650-650 again is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So speaking of, you know, winning in the boardroom, but then, of course, winning on the ice as well, the Canucks will get their first chance to do that tomorrow in Edmonton against Connor McDavid and the Oilers. And they had their final practice. Obviously, they'll have their skate in Edmonton tomorrow, but their final practice today 
at UBC. It is wrapped up. Some of the highlights. Brock Besser, full participant, not in the non-contact jersey anymore. He takes his place on that first line with JT Miller and Tanner Pearson. Uh, no, no, no. It's just one of three yeah, it's just top one lines, of three top Jamie. lines, of course. One of, of three. Course. Not going to be the most played line at 5-on-5. Five five, <laughs> uh, Niels Hoaglander uh, plays with uh, Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko. That had been Linus Carlson's spot, but obviously he is sent down. We'll see you know, if and when he rejoins the team. The bottom six is unchanged. Horvat with Garland, Podkolzin, Joshua Amon, and Lazar uh, on the fourth line. Niels Amon making the team. Yep, yeah, gonna gonna start as their fourth line center. Yep, congrats to him and uh, Ilya Mikheyev still in that non-contact jersey, uh, and I believe Batch said he was kind of rotating in with Hoaglander on that Pedersen line, which is not surprising. Because, Who else would he be rotating in yeah, for? That's that's uh, the story. That's uh, that's something well, we're still monitoring. Well, well, that's the line that that's the line that started together in Whistler, but obviously they still want to see together, right? Because Manko Pedersen Mikheyev, they, yeah. there's still an appetite. I also want to see that from that them to see great. that. Um, and then on the blue line, the other bit of, bit of positive news, Quinn Hughes was back at practice after missing a few days with what the team said was first a maintenance day and then non-COVID illness. He was skating with Luke Shen, OEL and Pullman, Stillman and Burroughs, uh, and Jack Rathbone getting some work in with Luke Shen. But as Batch said, and we'll try to hear from these players again throughout the course of the show, Hughes and Besser both talking as if they will play tomorrow uh, when meeting with the media after practice. So, yeah, we knew there was no concern on Hughes. We knew that Besser was pushing hard to make it back on time. Great to see that he has, right? I mean, with the, like, I think back to, I'm going to score 30 this year, right? Mm -hmm. And for Besser, it's not a matter of, can he score enough to hit 30? It's just a matter of, if he plays 82, he's going to score 30. Now, there's one other sort of... I would add the caveat of the power play. Which I was about to pivot to. Because Besser was on PP2 today, wasn't he? Was. He? Yes. he was playing the left side half yeah. wall as one-timer side on the Canucks' second unit as Andre Kuzmenko appears to retain his net front spot on Canucks' power play one. Uh, that, to me, going into game one is a fascinating subplot. We know what the margins are going to be for this team this year, right? We know that the logic of this team doing what this market's hopeful it can do, right? Exceeding expectations as set by any objective um, prognosticator, be it Vegas or, or Dom LeCision or, or whatever you prefer, right? Mm-hmm. Objectively, the Canucks have been metered at somewhere between 91.8 and 92.5 points by the bookies, by the prognosticators, by the people with real skin in the game. So if they're going to exceed that, the logic requires elite goaltending and it requires a lights-out, a lights-out power play. Kuzmenko at the net front feels to me and granted, Besser's still probably working his way back a little bit. Feels to me like a bit of a risk, right? We know it works with Besser at the net front spot. We saw some flashes of how Kuzmenko can complement that group. But it's going to be very different the moment the games count, right? Like, all of a sudden, we're going to see something very different from Kuzmenko. I'm very curious to see how that battle shapes up over the long haul. But Kuzmenko clearly going to start in that spot. Connor Garland at the net front yep. on power play two to start. Niels Hoaglander also featuring on power play two. How much have I talked about that as a as a like thing I want to see? I'm Hoaglander? stoked oh, on Carter Garland. Garland. Oh, yeah, Connor Garland. I'm stoked yeah. on Garland. Well, at I the do net just front. love that the two net front guys are, you know, an under six foot rookie Russian player and Connor Garland, who's like five eight. <laughs> Five eight, <laughs> my goodness! <laughs> rounding up, rounding yeah. up to five eight. But uh, I it, five eight when he puts Air Force Ones on his it, Air Force it's, Ones. It, it's it's a very <laughs> you know for all we talk about 
the importance of, you know, the skilled defenseman and the skating and all of that. That just is such a clear snapshot of new NHL to me, right? Oh, I love it. Two of our smallest forwards put them in front of the net and it's probably going to work. They're really good at it. Connor Garland at the net front is going to be a sight to see. He's going to be great at it and and it's going to absolutely shatter all preconceived notions of what a net front guy should do. That said, I think Brock Besser grew into a real weapon in that space. Like I think Brock Besser grew into a, a real weapon for the Canucks playing that net front role, dropping down low skill as a playmaker skill on retrievals. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how Kuzmenko does. I can see why you're giving, why the club is giving him the shot, considering him choosing them first of all, but also how he's performed at training camp, the flashes of high end mm-hmm. skill we've seen like Besser scored 12 goals, five on four last year. You know, like this guy can do it and do it really, really well. How does that race shape up? I think the club's going to need Besser back there at some point. Uh, That's my strong expectation, in part because I think Kuzmenko is going to need a little bit longer once the games count to adjust to the NHL game. It's such an easy change to make, too, that, look, if they're having success, you know, and they score tomorrow night in Edmonton, they score in Philly, he's going to get to keep staying there, right, if they're having success. But as soon as there's even a blip, of it not looking great or it goes a game or something. It's such an easy move to just slide Besser right back into that spot. It frankly it wouldn't surprise me if like the first power play opportunity tomorrow, Kuzmenko is out there and then it's two, two in the third period and they get a power play and Besser's out there with power play. One. Oh, like, that, that would surprise me. That wouldn't surprise you, me. Th- you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that to Kuzmenko. Now, now you've locked him into PP one and he's, he deserves like, you have to give him, in my opinion, five, six games, because if you make the change, you don't want to make it in a way that harms his confidence. The confidence is so crucial for a young guy finding his leg, not a young guy, but like a middle-aged, a a mature rookie uh, finding their legs in the NHL, right? Like if he's going there to start, if that's your, the the first idea in your mind's eye, he, he deserves the look, like I would say at least six games, like minimum, he better return home and keep that spot barring injury at this point. I just think if it's, if they're through three games and the power play is 0-4, I think it's going to be very, very tempting to slide Besser back in there. Yeah, right? I mean, I agree, which is partly why I might have let Kuzmenko, or I, I might have preferred to see the team let Kuzmenko find his feet in a lower On leverage opportunity yeah, and, and bump him up once. Because th- there have been moments where you, know, you can see the playmaking from down low. You can see the instincts. We all know the shot. But the shot's not going to play in time and no, space at the net front, there. right? No. Uh, the passing will. But... There have also been moments, and I think about that Oilers game out in Abbotsford, and the Canucks scored a, a wash of power play goals that night, but uh, Kuzmenko wasn't really in on them, you know, and, and I thought he was harried a little bit. I thought the Oilers were able to disrupt him, um, and, and I'm not sure that playing, that was the first time playing against a real NHL caliber defensive group. He didn't get to do that against Arizona when he starred <laughs> a couple nights later. Um, you know, I, I'm just, look. We'll see. We'll see. I, I believe in the player. I believe in the skill set. I just think this is a big risk that the team is taking, uh, putting him there over Besser. Unless it's related to, you know, something to do with Besser's injury and them not wanting him to be, you know, in, in a part of the rink where you take a lot of uh, hits yeah. and, and nicks and cross checks. Unless it's related to that, it's it's a decision that I'm sort of side-eyeing as a risky one right off the bat. Uh, Jordan and Surrey text in, Brock is playing tomorrow. Are they rushing him back? Um, I... I don't really think so because it's not as if to me, this is what, you know, it's not like a, 
an ACL or something or a really serious injury that kind of affects one of your core hockey movements in your body. This was a hand injury. Now, a hand is important. A hand surgery. It's important. Hand surgery. But it was also, again, it's not, it's always hard to distinguish between, you know, oh, random, totally chaotic injury. Nobody could have predicted this and something that, you know, portends more poorly for the future. This to me is very much in the random category. I right? just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. I think I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, it's definitely not connected to, you know, any uh, previous in injuries as far as I can tell. Um, we'll see. Like, we'll see. At the end of the day, you know, right from the get-go, right from the get-go, the word around Besser was trending really positively, right? Pushing really hard to get back. Uh, so this is not a surprise to me at, at all. It doesn't feel rushed to me in that it's not like I'd heard about setbacks and then all of a sudden he's ready to go. Um, I think this is a guy who wants to prove that he's worth the contract he signed. I think this is a guy who wants to play 82. I think he wants to show what he can do in a full season. I think he really wants to move forward with his career after you know a, a couple of years that were tough for reasons both hockey-related and, and far more so because of what he went through personally. And this market loves to sleep on Brock Besser. I think <laughs> it's probably because he's a very good player who's also a great guy. Um, but uh, Brock Besser's really good, and this team needs him. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't know enough to judge whether or not he's being rushed. It, to me, it's consistent with everything I'd heard all along, which is he was trending toward the aggressive portion of his timeline and was pushing really hard to get yeah, back. Yeah, and what we heard from Bruce Boudreau yesterday was a guy, a coach who really, really wants Brock Besser in the lineup, but was also, you know... A, a, acknowledging the possibility that hey he hasn't played preseason games you know it's going to be kind of a trial and error thing to manage his minutes see what role he's ready to play when he gets in but obviously they're going to give him every opportunity to step right into a major role for this team because again as I said Bruce Boudreau yesterday fully recognizing how important Brock Besser can be uh, to this team Caleb admission Texan who's centering power play two for the Canucks that would be nobody. Nobody. No centers. <laughs> it's Garland, Besser, Pearson, Hoaglander. No natural centers, uh, which just, I think, speaks to the fact that Power Play 1 is going to be up there for an awful lot of face-offs and a, and a lot of the time in general for the Power Play. Oh, and I don't even think you have a guy you'll like put out there to quick start. I mean, it might be Horvat, right? Like, it might, yeah. be, it might be Bo. It might be JT. Maybe here and there, if you've had, like, a 95-second PP1 shift that ends with the goalie gloving it and a face-off on the, on the left side. Maybe it's Lazar here and there, but, um, you know, I think you're going to see a centerman go out and take the draws when PP2 needs it. Uh, but PP2 rarely needs it, right? Like, yep. when does PP2 come on the ice? When PP1 fails. <laughs> That's sort of when, how it works. When after 90 seconds, the penalty kill clears the puck and, 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 and PP1 skates to and the And reluctantly, <laughs> yes. PP1 leaves the ice. I mean, that's that's how it should work, by the way. You know, I, I this team loves to talk about balanced goal scoring. You do need something like 15 goals from your second unit over the course of a 82-game season to be, like, number one in power play conversion rate. You probably need 12 to 15 if you're if you're lucky. But balance doesn't matter as much as having one unit that can do the job and and threaten. And when you have a power play unit that can do that, you build leads. You come back from when you're trailing, right? Like the power plays uh, this amplifier, you know, yeah. it's it's something that, you know, can stretch a lead out quickly and nullify um, a, a lead that another team has quickly. It, it's such a decisive part of what this team requires to be good. And luckily for them, if there's one part of Vancouver's play out front of their goalie, right? So not counting their goaltenders. If there's one part of the Canucks' play that I'm most 
confident in being high end going into the season, it is their five on four play. That the, those four guys up high, Hughes, Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, there there's something about that that works, and they're learning more nuances about how to work with one another to be dangerous. By the end of last year, they were performing at the level of the very best power plays in the year uh, in the, the league, league. Excuse yeah. me, like very much up there with Edmonton and Toronto. Uh, I expect them to maintain that form. Like, I think that's a perfectly reasonable expectation. I think if you were to say over under Canucks being the fifth best power play in the league and, and by by conversion rate, I'd bet the over comfortably. Like, I, I honestly would bet the over comfortably. Obviously, injuries, a variety of things can happen to change that, but that's how good their power play should be. That's where our expectations of it should be. They need to be excellent excellent in this phase of the game yeah and power play two is kind of a nice to have for me you're like i i think their power play their second power play you know will be pretty good you just look at the talent that's available but it's never going to be yeah, I, ekman larson is really good on the yeah, power play he, too right like he's kind of made a career out of being really good yeah. on the power play and i think you know we talked about garland in front of the net obviously besser if he's a a staple there he's got a ton of potential uh in that spot hoaglander etc there's guys who can really contribute in that area but if you're if you have in your mind's eye this vision of you know split the time right down the middle because we've got two really balanced units you're taking too much off the board and you know just to your point about how those four in particular and you could roll Brock Besser in there too since he's joined that unit but I I kind of think of the analogy you know you always hear in the NFL people talk about with offensive lines the importance of continuity right just you have to have a certain amount of minutes together and I think you really see that continuity. And as you said, they're learning more and more about how to play with each other, that nuance, those details. There's so much upside there that, yeah, hey, it's great to have a second power play unit, but don't take your best guys off, if, unless you have to. You know what I mean? Give them as much time as you absolutely can to let them do their thing. Yeah, and it's, you know what? Power play two is also going to put a lot of stress on Hoaglander, the way they're lining up at the moment. Right. I, I mean, I'm just sort of thinking about this alignment a little bit. And one thing that's going to be worth watching, because you've got Besser on his strong side on the left mm -hmm. side. You've got Hoaglander on his strong, oh, sorry, on his weak side, his one timer side on the right side. So, you know, Pearson is going to be I mean, really, it's Besser that's going to be the key playmaker here. Right. Because even though he's going to be your prime shooting option, it's it's from his spot on that left circle that. Pearson in the bumper and Oliver Ekman Larson are one-time options. Um, Hoaglander doesn't feel like a natural shooter to me, right? Like not a natural distance shooter like that. Like how often have we seen him on yeah. cork? Uh, a big one-timer, you know, frankly, I mean, he's more of an in tight scorer, like the, the quick hand stuff. So I think this is going to be a big test to see how Hoaglander can fit into that group. Certainly not going to get the shooting respect that a Pedersen gets. <laughs> Obviously no one really does except, you know, Stamkos and, and five other guys, but um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into that spot. I think he's got the skill level to be a really good power play guy, uh, especially in terms of boosting the team's effectiveness, if not, you know, his own numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if not sort of uh, inflating his own stats. He's kind of the logical person to slot in there for me, even though it's not necessarily like I think in a perfect world on power play two, Hoaglander would maybe be in the bumper for me, but. I would also rather have Pearson in the bumper and Hoaglander with his one-timer and maybe able to do a little bit more playmaking than vice versa. Yeah, I wonder how much they'll rotate between those three because if you're comfortable with a shorter guy who works hard and has good hands in tight at the net front, like presumably you'd be comfortable with Hoaglander there. Um, you know, if you rotate the three of them as, as you go with Besser and sort of Ekman Larson up high, you know, you can see how that might work, right? Where Pearson shifts to the net front on occasion, right? And you've got Garland uh, on his strong side on the half wall 
Um, anyway, it's going to be an interesting dynamic for sure on PP2. We probably won't see it that much, mm -hmm. but Vancouver's power play has so many weapons. Even power play two has some interesting wrinkles. It'll be fascinating to see how Jason King, working closely with Bruce Boudreau on it, deploys that group and what new wrinkles we see once the games count. Nate from Langley says, I love that Besser is getting an opportunity to be a one-time shooting option on power play two. He's always been one of a few players who can beat goalies who are set. Why not give him opportunities with time and space to do so? 40 goals for Brock this year. Let's he, go, says Nate. He, Nate's dead on about him being one of yep. 25 individuals in the world that can reliably beat set NHL goaltenders. And yet he's far better at it on a wrist shot. Yes, than a big one-timer. Then, well, the one-timer is not his shot. Like, it, it, I mean, maybe he's done a ton of work. I think he's more comfortable on the half wall. I like him better on his strong side, where the wrist shot and the passing game plays a little bit, uh, like the passing game plays faster and the shot plays a little better, especially because it's a wrist shot rather than a one-timer. Um, you know, I don't think, I think it's the spot Bessers feels most comfortable, but I think with the growth of his game at the net front, that's just become where he's best in my view now. Um you know, which is sort of at a surprising trajectory, something I wouldn't have said 12 months ago, but credit to him, right? He adopted it. They needed him to be great there and he figured it out. And now I'm like really reluctant for, to see this team <laughs> lose him there. I think he's become one of, you know, certainly a top half of the league, like a better than average and a well above average net front guy. Uh, with the chops, I think, to be even better than that as he continues to grow more comfortable in that spot. Keep your text coming in, 650-650. We will take a break. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux after practice in the next segment. Plus, Canucks legend, a member of the Ring of Honor, former Canucks goalie Kirk McLean will join the show uh, to talk a little bit about something going on, something exciting going on with the Canucks, uh, Canucks Alumni Association as well. So look forward to that, chatting with Kirk McLean. Plus, later in the show, in the second hour, Dmitry Filipovich is going to join us. Really looking forward to that as well. Lots coming up on the way. It is the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas, Thomas Drance with you on your home of the Canucks. 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And of course, Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, AvenueMachinery.ca, Douglas Lake equipment.com keep your thoughts coming in 650 650 uh, but first let's hear from the Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux who spoke to the media after the team practice today yeah I think uh, yeah he, he's happy to be there so again we'll see we'll see tomorrow it'll be a game time decision and uh, we'll see if he's ready to go how about with Quinn uh, Quinn's going to be the same way game time decision tomorrow and I mean he uh, I haven't talked to him since practice was over, but we'll, we'll see how that works out. What's your message to the group as you head out on this road trip in terms of you know the challenges that are going to be ahead here and what you want to try and accomplish off the hop? Well, we want to win five games. That's what we want to accomplish, and uh, uh, that's 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 what we're going for. I mean, you can't do that unless you win the first one. So, I mean, our effort is going to be there. I think our effort in practice last couple of days has been great. I think the players are excited to start the season. So, I mean, uh, and you no better way to, uh, to start against probably the favorites in the division. Last year is last year, but I just wonder how much of your message is about a good start this time around. I, I don't even have to give that message. They know what happened last year. Everybody that was here knows that what happened. Everybody that watches our game <laughs> knows what happened. So, I mean, 
I think uh, the message is let's be just go out there and be as good as we can be, and let's see where the what happens after that. What have you seen from Brock in the two skates that, he, that he's been out there? Puck he out? was handling the puck well. I thought uh, I thought he did a really good job on the half wall in that other unit on the power play. I'm going, yeah, I can see how he could play that. So uh, hopefully if he goes uh, and uh, McKay ends up coming back, I mean, we'll have two pretty good power play units, I believe. you also like the composition of the player lines, Bruce, of what you can put out there? Um, I, I think it's getting better. It's more clear to me. You know, I mean, you know, in hockey, every coach uh, changes his lines an awful lot as the game goes. We, it's our job to decipher who's playing good, who's playing bad. And if the guy playing bad is playing with two guys that are really working, we move lines right away. So it's uh, it's that's probably the, the major part of our, our job behind the bench. So it's uh, everything's fluid. It'll change and it'll stay the same. And. If we stay the same, that means we're doing okay. You told us a lot last year that you know you really like to get to know the players as people, and you came in and had to sort of go through that whole process. What do you know about Neil Zaman that maybe we don't know? How much have you gotten to know? Well, you know what? I do know that he's pretty quick. Like, I mean, there was one portion of that practice, and uh, Bo was going back, and he just flew by him. And uh, uh, I, I think, you know what? I think he's going to surprise a lot of guys. He's going to... He's um, he's pretty smart defensively. I mean, it's going to be a big test for him. You know, I mean, I don't think too many people anticipated him being in the starting lineup. You know, it's uh, at the like in July or August when we signed him. So it's, uh, but uh, he he's, he grows on you the more you watch him of the responsibility that he that he takes. Oh, I don't know. It's up to them who's going at it with who. I mean, uh, plus Connor, if if it's a if it's a tough game and a tight game, he's playing 27 minutes. We don't want any of our forwards doing that. Quinn hasn't skated since Friday morning. What did you see from him today? That he he really hasn't lost a lot. Like I mean, he's still Quinn Hughes. I mean, uh, let's face it. He's taken he's had three days uh, of rest, and I think for a guy like him, that makes him stronger. You can see on the ice today that there was the jump and the, everybody was uh, anxious to go. I'm the same way. Let's let's get going. I mean, uh, uh, win, lose, or draw. This is the time of of your life that you really are excited for. So I don't think anybody can wait. Uh, and whether it's the fans of Vancouver, the fans of Edmonton, we're looking forward to this. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux again speaking to the media after the team practiced at UBC today ahead of their game. Game one tomorrow in Edmonton against the Oilers, as Bruce Boudreaux said them. Probably the favorite in his, in the division, at least in his eyes, I guess, going into that game. A uh, couple of notes there. Brock Besser, game time decision. He said the same about Quinn Hughes. But he also said, you know, Quinn Hughes looked really good after three days of rest. Still looked like Quinn Hughes. So I would very, very much uh, lean towards certainly Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser, for that matter, uh, both being involved in that one. But officially, they are game time decisions. Um, you know, the other stuff, look, he's he, pretty pretty g- generic from Bruce Boudreaux. Likes the effort he's seen from his team uh, over the last couple of days. Thinks their effort will be there. You know, I thought it was interesting you said, I don't even have to talk to them about a good start because they're all just so incredibly aware of what a disastrous start they had last year. So we don't even need to talk about that. 
A little bit of praise for Niels Amon in there. Uh, and I, I did think it was interesting that, you know, he was speaking as, as just to pick up on our conversation about the different power play units from the first segment, Drancer. You know, he was speaking and he mentioned Ilya Mikheyev and he says, yeah, when Mikheyev comes back, I think we'll have two pretty good power play units. So we were talking about Niels Hoaglander getting a look on power play too, but it does sound like Mikheyev could maybe replace him at five on five with, with Kuzmenko and Pedersen when he comes back and potentially on that power play unit as well. And we also had this question come in from Corey in Swift Current who says, Drance, do you feel Mikheyev will keep up with his scoring pace he was on last season or was that a one-off? Uh, how about Boudreaux's comments about him being underused in Toronto? And you heard maybe just Boudreaux potentially the opportunity to get him at least second unit power play time, still looking for those opportunities uh, to get Mikheyev more more chances to, to put up goals. Yeah, and we've talked about this a lot, and I'll, I'll just talk about it again, right? Mikheyev spent about 500 minutes with the yeah. at 5 on 5 with that Tavares Nylander line. And in terms of that line's performance, I don't mean Mikheyev's point production, I mean how that line manufactured goals as a trio. Uh, he had the lowest sort of numbers, like he had the lowest offensive impact on that line. Um, of the sort of five options that played at least 100 minutes uh, in that spot with Nylander and Tavares. And that's, you know, a group that includes guys like Zach Hyman, guys like Alex Kerfoot, guys like Alex Galchenyuk, um, you know, so and Michael Bunting. Michael Bunting also did it before finding a home on, on Marner and yes, Matthews. A very successful wing. home. Yeah. So, you know, that to me speaks to a player that got a fair bit of offensive opportunity and, and just couldn't really seize it in Toronto. Um, that to me is not a player who was underused that, you know, that's not the profile of an underused player. In my view, it's not like JT Miller wasting away on the fourth line on a loaded Tampa Bay lightning team, right? Like it's not William Carlson, never seeing the ice in Columbus. It's not Eric Halla as a fourth liner with the Minnesota wild. In my view, I just don't see it as, you know, a, a proto golden Knights glow up uh, awaiting Mikhaev in Vancouver. I think his usage is probably likely to be middle six. Uh, he'll play some with really great players, and he'll probably play some in a checking role because his defensive impact is so significant that it's hard for coaches at the end of the day to be like, okay, I want you playing with Pedersen, you know, trying to trying to be precise and efficient and put up points when, you know, you could put him with Bo Horvat and just have yeah. those two running around and being so annoying for the opposition. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Obviously, this team is invested heavily in Mikhaev. He's going to get a lengthy opportunity. Uh, playing on Pedersen's wing at some point. Uh, will he continue to produce at a rate, um, you know, a 30-goal rate over 82 the way he did last season in Toronto, where he scored, what, 23 in 55 games, roughly? Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd be dubious of that. Going into last season, his career shooting clip was 7-ish percent, shot double that for the course of the season. Uh, may, you know, maybe it doesn't go all the way back to 7. Maybe, maybe his full career number is 9% is sort of where he's going to be at, which would kind of be high teens goal totals. I think that's a realistic uh, you know, bar for him to leap over, but I would be pretty surprised if the, you know he comes into Vancouver and is a, is a bona fide um, you know, top six point producer, five on five, and uh, you know, I, I'd be skeptical too that he'd be a huge plus asset on the power play, although I do want to see him enter the zone with control at, in five on four situations. The, the McKay of Horvat thing, I think is really interesting because we talked in the first segment about how easy a change it is to make uh, putting Bo Horvat back on power play one if and when you decide to do that. And I just think at some point they're going to be nursing a lead in the third period or, you know, they're they're going to be scouting and looking at the other team's top line that they're playing that night. And they're going to think, man, we just need a rock solid, rock solid defensive unit. 
let's put Bo Horvat and Ilya Mikheyev together, right? I just think it's so tempting for an NHL coach to to do that, to run that true traditional matchup line. And I know Bo Horvat, or excuse me, Bruce Boudreaux is not the biggest, you know, hard matching guy, but that temptation is going to be there. Yes, they would love to get him a look uh, with Elias Pettersson. I'm sure he'll do that to start. At some point, though, they're going to see what they have from, you know, putting together their best defensive forwards. They just have to be. The temptation is going to be too great not to do that at some point. I, I would think so. And and especially if, you know, Mikhaev's not producing or if that Pedersen line sputters at any point and, and they decide that they need, you know, someone who can finish a bit better, who can complement that line a bit better offensively. So we'll see where it goes. But, yeah, I expect him to get top six opportunities off the bat. I don't think that's inconsistent with his usage in Toronto, frankly. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, somebody just hitting us up on uh, Twitter. It doesn't sound like Boudreaux or either of us have any time for Pod Colson's big shot on the power play. Hey, man, I'd love for Pod Colson to get a little power play time. It's crowded there. The, the Canucks have a lot of forwards that you can plausibly make a case to get power play time with, right? So, yeah, Pod Colson, I think he's really good. I think he's offensively talented. I'm sure at some point he'll feature in that unit, but it's also not just as easy as, oh, yeah, he, he's got to be there. There's a lot of guys uh, in the pecking order. I'm far more curious to see how Pod Colson is groomed on the PK as opposed to how he's groomed on the power play. I think eventually you're going to see Pod Colson play in both spots, at least second unit power play plus be a PK guy. But it feels like, based on where he's practiced to this point, that the Canucks might want to start as they, you know, integrate him a little bit more into their special teams play, might want to start by utilizing his defensive awareness and that high work rate four on five. And I think also we were talking about potentially Horvat and Mikheyev. We've seen Horvat and Pod Colson play a lot together. That could be a really interesting trio from a, from a defensive two-way perspective <laughs> oh, as well. You yeah. put all three of those guys Yeah, give me that. Together. That sounds fun. Uh, it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. And we are now very, very pleased to be joined by... Former Vancouver Canucks goalie uh, and franchise icon, part of the Ring of Honor, uh, and now, of course, with the Canucks Alumni Association. We might have just been getting some echo there on the line with Kirk, so we might just need him to turn down his radio. But I believe now we do have uh, former Canucks goalie Kirk McLean on the line. Kirk, thanks very much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you now. Fantastic. Uh, we're very well, and, and you know we're really excited to chat with you. You're going to be part of uh, the Canuck Country Rocks event this Thursday, October 13th, uh, at the Commodore Ballroom, part of your work with the, uh, the Canucks Alumni Association. Tell us a little bit more about the event and, and what's going to be going on on Thursday. Well, it's, it's something that we've been doing for a number of years now. Uh, you know, we've, we've uh, graduated to the, uh, the legendary Commodore, Commodore Ballroom in the last uh, few times or three times that we've done it. So we're pretty happy with that. It's such an amazing uh, place. But you know, it's a it's a country slash rock uh, kind of concert we put on. Um, this year is going to probably uh, uh, teeter a little bit more to the countryside. Uh, you know, Aaron Prechette, uh, JoJo Mason, Kelly Prescott, uh, local group The Heels, um, uh, Dane Bateman, and of course uh, one of our favorites, Dallas Smith, who will be showing up. Uh, uh, for the cause and uh, you know the charities that are involved are of course our Canuck uh, Alumni Foundation and we're partnering up with the Rick Hansen Foundation so um, it's going to be a fun night you know it's it's about uh, enjoying some good old-fashioned country music uh, um, and some um, other type of, uh, of music if you will because some of the the entertainers are 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 pretty diverse in what they can play but uh, you know and and our alumni 
one or two of us are are uh, prone to getting up on stage and, and making a fool of ourselves. <laughs> but we have fun with it. You know, it's such it's for a great cause. Um, and and the old the old kind of uh, saying, you know, the rock rock stars or music musicians want to be athletes. Athletes want to be musicians <laughs> or actors, and that's basically the way it carries out. But uh, they're awesome to us when we get up there and try and. Uh, pretend that we can sing or play an instrument uh, and then of course uh, we reciprocate which we're doing tomorrow actually uh, we'll scrimmage with uh, some of the musicians tomorrow afternoon at rogers and and get to know them a little bit better uh, some of them we know very well because they are in, involved with our alumni like aaron Pachette and uh, and jojo has been uh, a good friend to our alumni as well along with dallas smith which uh, which Canucks alumni is uh, is I don't want to say make the biggest fool, but maybe which who has the most gusto when they get up on stage at these events? Well, gosh, there's a few of us. You know, Cliffy's been up there. He likes to grab the mic and sing a little bit. Uh, Garth Butcher uh, holds his own uh, as well. Um, you know, I get up there. I'm I've kind of become uh, you know the court jester with the uh, with the cowbell. That seems to be my thing up on stage. Uh, I usually pull that out and, and uh, try to try to uh, bang it to the beat. But um, gosh, we've had uh, Mike McWilliams, Dave Thomason, who are fantastic drummers. They've actually got a, a behind the drum kit and, and uh, played a couple tunes. Gary Nyland is a very good uh, 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 guitar player, and he he plays quite a bit with the Odds, who uh, generally help us out, uh, are big backers of this uh, function. But unfortunately. A few of them are on tour with other with other bands. Uh, one in particular, Pat Stewart, the drummer, is out with uh, Adams right now on on world tour. And of course, Craig Northey, the, the one of the lead singers, uh, him and Stephen Page have a band, and they're touring uh, Canada and the U.S. as well. So we may miss miss them a little bit this year, but uh, uh, you never know; they may uh, surprise us and and show up on stage. Who, who knows? We've had many surprises <laughs> in the past. We've Colin James has showed up. Uh, in the past, uh, Bernie Bentall. So, um, yeah, um, BJ McDonald is is uh, one of our uh, uh, main men behind this uh, this function, and he seems to uh, pull a few rabbits out of his hat and uh, and get some special guests as well. So we're looking forward to it. And of course, you know, none of this happens without our sponsors. We we've been lucky enough with uh, you know major sponsors over the years that that allowed us to to to, to um, proceed with this concert you know this year we got faskin galloper gold haywood securities uh, canadian tire uh the festival company of uh sport ho- uh hosting in surrey and of course uh the roxy is on board for the vip after party <laughs> there you go <laughs> the roxy and canucks alumni getting the band back together quite literally hey yeah. kirk Kirk, Kirk, can we ask you a little bit about what some of the causes uh, that this effort supports? Well, the Rick, ha- Rick Hansen Foundation, there you go. That speaks for itself. You know, what he's done uh, over the years to raise money for uh, disability, uh, you know, is, is off the charts. And, um, you know, he's a, a huge Canuck fan, and, and I know he's a, an alumni supporter as well. So we're really looking forward to connecting with him and, and, uh, and seeing him you know, enjoying himself uh, um, throughout the night. And, and of course, our, van- our, our, our Canuck Alumni Foundation, which is, is it, you know, the main foundation where we, we uh, network out to, to our favorite uh, charities, you know, obviously Canuck Autism, uh, Canuck Place, the likes of that. So, um, 
you know, whatever we can do to spread the wealth and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, donate uh, monies to worthy charities to, to try and do what we can do to either, uh, move on, um, you know, uh, what the scientists do as far as, uh, uh, curing cancer or whatever it may be, uh, uh, that's the least we can do. And, and uh, you know, if it brings everybody together at a country concert or a rock concert, we're all for it. Love it. Hey, Kirk, want to ask you about this upcoming season. And in particular, you know, I'm curious to hear you speak about this because after your departure uh, in the trade to Carolina, right, there was a pretty dark decade in goal for this yeah. franchise. And since then, for about 15 years going on now, uh, this team's been incredibly sturdy in that spot, yep. as we approach another Canucks season, how much pride do you take in what this organization has been able to accomplish between the pipes for going on a generation now? Well, it's wonderful, obviously, because that's where you build your, your foundation. You build from the goaltender out, and, and they've you know, been able to do that. You know, the obvious one with Roberto coming in and building out from there. You know, even when Kluch was here, you know, Kluch had some wonderful years – um, and then after Roberto, um, you know, Marky came in and did a wonderful job, and, and they groomed Demko down in the minors for for a few few years or so. And look look what that's happened. You know, he's just uh, uh, probably my favorite goalie in the in the league right now. I love watching him. Um, I love his demeanor, and of course his compete. And uh, you know, last year was a real coming out for him. Even though they didn't make the playoffs, uh, he certainly. Um, was a big part, if not uh, the biggest part, and and getting him close. I mean, he just had a wonderful year last year, and we're looking for big things from him again. He's he's uh, one of their leaders now. He's the main man, and and we'll see what uh, what he can uh, what he can do for us. And I know one of the highlights for Canucks fans last year, especially where Thatcher Demko was concerned, Kirk was seeing him rock in the black skate jersey, the, yeah. the Kirk McLean tribute setup. Uh, what was that like for you? And and do you think that might make a return this year? It was super cool. Uh, I hope it makes a return, uh, you know, more than once. I hope <laughs> hope they get a chance to to do it uh, as many times as they can. Um, it was, you know, I was very, very flattered and, and honored uh, that he uh, would take the time to, to rock uh, basically my, the way my kit was, a retro kit. Uh, he did, he did in fact uh, get a hold of me um, through the, the the summer prior to the season, letting me know that this is a possibility that this could happen. And I said, and, and he asked if I was okay with it. And I said, are you kidding? Absolutely. You know, and, and that goes to show you what, what type of person he is that to take the time and get a hold of me and, and, and ask if, uh, you know, I'd be okay with it. That's, you know, one of his uh, great character uh, parts as well. He's just a, an awesome person. And, and, um, you know, it, without a doubt, I mean, I hope they play more than one game with it. We all love the skate. You know, I'm obviously biased, um, <laughs> but it certainly it looks amazing out there. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, it would be super cool if they could pull the white the white uniforms out to see what that looked like. I think just with the the materials and the and the jerseys these days and the way that the colors pop out and the lighting, mm. of course, in all the arenas, it really really. Uh, uh, looks awesome you know i love the colors that they have now as well don't get me wrong but you know for some reason when they have those black uh the black jerseys on it i don't know maybe that the five foot the five foot nine guy turns into about a six foot two guy type of thing 
I think the uh, the dark colors certainly make you look a little bit meaner and, uh, you know, give you a few inches on your height no matter what size you are. And, and what about the red salmon one? You want to see that one back, Kirk? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that was uh, maybe a little bit of a mis- mistake. But, <laughs> you know, at, at the time, at the time, it uh, the intentions were there, and the whole idea was again the, the way it was designed with the coloring it was supposed to pop on TV. I think it was all made made for the, the TV viewer. Um, who knows if they did a uh, maybe a you know newer version. A newer design of that. Who knows what it would look like? But uh, right now, I'm certainly, certainly glad that they they brought the skate back. I, I would personally like to see somewhat of the flying V come back. Because I, I yes, let's know, I, go. I think I think they could do. I'm out on this. I'm out on this. <laughs> I think they could do or do a combo of the V and the, and the skate. Uh, which All right. They kind of did which they kind. Of got here in '87. They just got rid of the V a few years before, but. We had the V on the on the shoulder caps and the V on our right. pants, so it was still kind of there. But um, I, I, you know, I've seen on you know social media, you know, people create all these different looks uh, for jerseys, and and I, and I think somebody uh, uh, created one with both the V and the and the uh, the skate logos. So wow, it looked pretty good. I also like the Johnny Canuck logo, but you know Abbotsford's got that right now, so they can they can create stuff with that. <laughs> uh, the event is Canuck Country Rocks this Thursday, October thirteenth, at the Commodore Ballroom. Tickets still available at VancouverCanucksAlumni.org. Kirk, we really appreciate the time. It sounds like gonna be, it's going to be a great event on Thursday. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Well, thanks for having me and, and helping us promote this. It really is. It's uh, it's a wonderful event. It's so much fun, and of course. The charities are second to none, and, and uh, you know that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Thank you, Kirk. Okay, guys, thanks. That is Kirk McLean, former Canucks goalie, member of the Ring of Honor, still very active with the Alumni Association. Originally acquired from New Jersey, now a staunch advocate of New Jerseys. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but also old Jersey. Well, yeah, look, yeah, the yeah. Canucks have a rich tapestry of, of to, from which to draw from yes, in designing they sure do. new there's looks. There's no shortage. For the reverse retro thing every year, it's like, well, there's no shortage of options. No, and got a bunch of different color palettes. And, and, and what used to be mocked, right, is in a contemporary sports context, actually a huge strength, right? Uh, uh, you know, the the theme of that 50th anniversary season, right? The, the colorful history mm-hmm. thing. I mean, turning a weakness into a strength, can't do it better than that. I'd love to see this team play Every season in a different jersey. <laughs> that's my that's my honest hope. I think it would be cool if every Canucks season you had a totally new look drawn from the history of this franchise. I uh, I am I, I was very I know you got off the boat at that point, but I was very excited for Kirk to uh, rep the Flying V. I, I think the Flying V is unfairly maligned. No, that's not true. <laughs> it's it's a terrible primary. It's a terrible primary, but it has some utility as a like a secondary or tertiary uh, logo. Like I don't mind it as a shoulder crest or on a new era hat. I don't mind it shrunk. It's just when it's like when it's shoulder straps, you know, when, when, when the Canucks look like they're X-wing fighters, I'm out. I'm out on that. Sounds great. What do you mean? Awful. Like X-Wing Fighters? Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Save it for Star Wars now. Anyways, again, it is Canuck Country Rocks uh, this Thursday, October 13th at the Commodore Ballroom. Lots of great artists like JoJo Mason, uh, Aaron Prechette, Kelly Prescott, and more. All benefits the Rick Hansen Foundation in addition to uh, the Canucks Alumni Foundation. So go check out VancouverCanucksAlumni.org 
tickets still available. And thank you to Kirk McLean for joining us to take the time chatting about it. All right. Canucks season gets going tomorrow. Yeah, we're all going to overreact. We're all going to, you know, go go a little bit wild with the takes maybe. But what can we actually learn, not just tomorrow night, but for this, for this first road trip, what are we going to be looking for? Early signs of potential success, early signs of potential failure. Uh, what are we keeping an eye on for this first road trip? We'll talk about that. You can get your submissions in 650-650. Plus at 1.30, Dmitry Filipovich will join us. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Strands. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So... North American NHL season gets going today. Obviously, there are the games over in Europe last week. Tonight, it is Tampa and the Rangers at 4.30. Uh, let's go. Which is fantastic. Great matchup. Uh, and then, you know, very relevant for Canucks fans, a Pacific Division matchup, the Vegas Golden Knights and the LA Kings at 7. So, Canucks not in action tomorrow, but if you're a Canucks fan, you can have a rooting interest rooting against overtime in the uh, in the Vegas Golden Knight LA series. And I think we'll do our uh, our, our big kind of official predictions series, season preview stuff tomorrow uh, ahead of the Canucks first game. But there Rangers you go. favored at home over the back to back to back Eastern Conference champions and back to back but not defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning interesting Tampa Bay not getting a lot of love necessarily like respect but not and we think they're going to win you know what I mean that's kind of the vibe I'm getting around Tampa Bay like oh yeah they'll be good again but I don't see a lot of picking them people picking them to go deep no well, at some point it's gravity it. it's, at some yes. point gravity matters right and you lose Ryan McDonough that's not insignificant um you know it's going to be an interesting season for them like it's that they're worse along the blue line right they've for sure they are um they didn't really have a well I guess they lost Pilat that's not nothing right like nope. Pilat was one of their guys who was best suited to jumping up to fill any injury gap that happened on the top line um yeah I mean they still have Andre Vasilevsky that's what I don't understand you know I get I get looking at New York and being like well they're the home team they've got Igor Shosturkin and it's like yeah but they have had Andre Vasilevsky. Like, they're the only team against whom you would say, hey, I'm not sure Shesterkin gives them an advantage over. Right? And this is also, don't forget, this is technically Andre Vasilevsky in his first game after a loss in the playoffs. So, oh, as we let's all know, go. As we Doesn't all, lose two in a row. We all know how he responds hey, in those situations. I promise typically. you, NHL starters respect that stat more than just about anything. Like, you can have a 950 save percentage, and they're going to be like, the guy I admire is the guy who never loses two in a row, right? Like, that's... That's just how NHL goalies are wired. The LA Kings favored at home over the Vegas Golden Knights. Very, very, like, very much yeah, a pick yeah, yeah. Them there, right? Like, um, minus 120, plus 100. Even money for the, for the Vegas Golden Knights. But still, LA the favorite. Mark of respect. I don't know, man. And questions about... Vegas I think, pe- look, I get that Vegas is a huge wild card this season, but it's not like LA doesn't have questions in goal. You know, and we're not far removed. Like, it took Vegas getting completely kiboshed by a rush of, like, 15 injuries for them to miss the playoffs. I mean, 
we're not far removed from this being the class of the, the team that was the class of the Western Conference year after year. And then they have a 30 game sputter and everyone's writing them off. I, I just think I just think the memory of them missing is perhaps being vastly overrated as opposed to their true talent level. I, I really think people are sleeping far too much on the Vegas Golden Knights. There, there's no reason that Vegas shouldn't be. I mean, except for all the wild card stuff and the Robin Leonard injury <laughs> and, and the missing Matt and losing the, Max Pacioretty, the and... persistence of bad vibes around that group. Um, aside from all of that, <laughs> there's no reason they shouldn't be, you know, up there with the Alberta teams. Like they should be. They should be considered to be with the Alberta teams, in my view, at least from like a prognostication standpoint. I think I think Vegas is getting far too little respect. I think Tampa Bay is getting far too little respect tonight. There you go. Hot takes. Tampa yeah. and Vegas will be good. <laughs> nice little, nice little parlay, which I can't place. <laughs> gives you, gives you three point one to one odds. Um, so those are the, the games on the tonight. tonight. Those are the games tonight. Um, Canucks get going tomorrow again against Edmonton. You'll be able to hear it right here, Sportsnet six fifty. Philly on Saturday, Washington, Columbus, and Minnesota three in four nights to wrap up the road trip next week. Now, you know, I know you've said on the show before your kind of personal start to get a feel for what a team is date is like roughly 30 games, right? That, that's when you were like, okay, I have a pretty holiday good season. Of what this is yeah. once you're no longer offended to hear Christmas music. I'm ready to, to pronounce what I think a team is. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm an early Christmas music guy. So what? <laughs> How dare you? I love How early. Christmas How music. early? So I used to be December 1st. Yeah. That's, that's, that's on the borderline of acceptable, but I'll take it. Last year, I got antsy, and so I decided I'm going to give myself an actual month. So I moved it up to November 25th. Oh, that's so fine. Not a after, huge move. So long as it's after American Thanksgiving, yeah. I don't think you can be mad about it. But, like, I'm not looking forward to – like, I'm not, you know, like, singing it myself while I walk down the grocery store aisle uh, until, like, mid-December. Yeah, I'm see, that's not, enough, that's not enough. Not, not enough time. And I'm me. definitely not – you know, dusting off my sick Christmas playlist on <laughs> on my music apps until then either. Uh, so, anyways, we'll, we'll, we're not. No, no one's going to come here after this five game road trip and say, you know, we know definitively what this team is. The Canucks have proven they were fake contenders once again. Or, you know, they've proven all the oh, come on. Wrong. People are going no, to no, do no. that. We are not going to do it. Eh. Other people will. <laughs> Unless it per, I'm not going to do it unless it perfectly correlates with what I'm no. what I've already predicted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That'll be like, see, I was right. <laughs> Everyone overreacts far too much early in the season, uh, but this road trip does feel big to me. And I, what I want to focus on is not just you know, oh, they have to go three and two, or they or they have to finish sure. 500 on the road trip. But what are some of the specific kind of more granular? on ice things and you know granular might not be the right word because there's some team-wide stuff you can look at too but what are some of those specific things that you're kind of be looking for for really early signs of okay they're building something here or uh oh this is maybe trending in the wrong direction well i think there's a lot of interesting stuff that awaits them on this road trip in particular the edmonton oilers are going to offer them a very very serious offensive threat that they'll have to contain so I think it's a really good test of can their defense hold up, um, particularly after a preseason in which it looked shaky at best far too often. Philadelphia, I think, also is an interesting test for this Canucks team, particularly because it's a John Tortorella team early in the year, but also because John Tortorella, he sends the farm, right? Like, he will have... He might be the only coach that I'd routinely expect to unleash a, a forecheck more aggressive than what the Canucks mm. will do under Bruce Boudreaux, right? Like... 
I, I won't be stunned to see them go 2-1-2 and really attack Vancouver's defenders. So I think there's a pretty interesting test that awaits them in Philadelphia in terms of coping with pressure from the back end, how well they can connect play, which I think sort of drives at the heart of some of our concerns about this team or some of my concerns, I don't want to speak for you, some of my concerns about what this team can do. Washington is an interesting one. Canucks tend to play Washington pretty well, I think, typically speaking. Yeah. But Washington's just super solid, right? Like, just like solid, knows how to win. Um, and that can give Vancouver problems, even though Vancouver's tended to do pretty well against them, you know, in at least during this sort of core group's um, recent run. And then Columbus, I think, is an interesting one, too, because, again, that's a team that can challenge Vancouver. Like, it's Columbus. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they should be a pretty entertaining team to watch. You know, they've got a lot of offensive skill now. Uh, with Gaudreau and with Kent Johnson uh, sort of coming into the fold, being added to what they already had. You know, uh, that's another game that I sort of see as a measuring stick about Vancouver's defense. And then and then you get into Minnesota, and Minnesota's maybe not quite as heavy as they were previously, but they're still big and they're still deep and, again, offer a pretty significant offensive threat. So I think we're going to learn a lot about this Canucks team over the course of this trip. And, and really, for me, the barometer, like all I really want to see – to avoid making any type of pronouncement. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think I'll be, you know, saying, hey, that could be meaningful is if they're really giving up a lot of chances. And I don't mean how Demko looks like. I don't mean the win-loss record. But if they're surrendering a ton of chances, results aside, on this trip, uh, and especially if they do so against teams like Philadelphia and Columbus, I think I'm going to start to be a little bit nervous about what it might look like once they start to play the Pacific Division. Yeah, the Philadelphia one is really interesting to me and stands out. And just both from this structure conversation and just in general, because Edmonton's going to be a really good team, right? And, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say don't, don't pay any attention to it if they lose, you know, 4-1 tomorrow or whatever. But guess what? Connor McDavid and Leiden Dreisaitl are going to run some teams off of their home ice. That's going to happen this year, right? Maybe it's you first time out of the gate. You don't want it to happen, but it's kind of an understandable result. With Philly, I expect the Canucks to give the, the Oilers of every, like, I, I expect that to be a close game tomorrow. Oh, sure. No, I'm not saying they can't yeah. win it. I'm just saying Edmonton blowing a team out is like, okay, yeah, you expect that. Sometimes it Edmonton is going to get a really hot game where they blow some teams out. Maybe it happens against the Canucks. That's no reason to panic, right? Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. It should be a close well, game. Well, especially like if it's the penalty kill and it feels like last year because they take three minors and the Oilers ding them twice. It's like, that's the best power play we've ever seen, right? Like, <laughs> their power play is not just good. It's historically good over yeah. multiple years now. So that's the sort of thing where I'm not going to overreact regardless yeah, of what happens. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Philly... You know, there's a reason a lot of people are picking them to be bottom feeders in the NHL this year, right? And that doesn't mean it's guaranteed to happen. As you've said, you know, John Tortorella teams, often when they are when they have the fresh legs at the beginning of the year, they can get a little more out of them. But if the Canucks are going to be legitimate playoff teams, like at a certain point, you have to show consistently the difference between you and the bottom feeders, right? So, yeah, maybe there are some, you know, oh, hey, they'll really be skating hard in, early in the season and they're really going to forecheck hard, but... You should have the talent to overcome that. You should have the talent to get past those obstacles and put your stamp on this game and show everyone we're in a different class than this Flyers team, right? I'd add, too, that I felt like that was what the Canucks really did well after the coaching change. You know, there were a few games like the New Jersey game in in New Jersey. Um, Wasn't there an Ottawa one, too, late? An an Ottawa one late where they lost in the shootout, but it was a shootout loss. You know, like, for the most part, this team took care of business against the teams they really should beat. 
um, after the coaching change. So that sort of was a specialty. The other thing that we liked to do toward the end of last year was we'd look down um, the defense core of a mm. team and sort of judge how difficult a matchup they were simply based on the speed, the pace at which their defense can play at, because that often, you know, Vancouver's so reliant on generating offense off of their forecheck that if a team can beat that regularly, they tend to be a tougher matchup for Vancouver. Um, Ristolainen, Provorov, Sanheim, Braun, D'Angelo, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple of like good puck movers in that group, but that's not the type of, it's not, it's not the roster, it's not the sort of roster construction that typically gives this team trouble. Um, you know, I would expect them to win in Philadelphia, but I do think that John Tortorella traditionally, right, four checks and plays with a, a level of aggression that actually is pretty close match with what Boudreaux does. Both guys believe very firmly in, in pressure. Both guys could not be more different in how they communicate with the public <laughs> and their teams, right? It feels like one would be far more receptive to a hug <laughs> than the other. But one, one has a lot more tolerance for like being asked about Thanksgiving at press conferences <laughs> right? And, 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 and the baseball playoffs. Or a phone yeah. going off, yeah. Um, but... You know, make no mistake, in terms of what they believe in and how their teams tend to play, there's, you know, not not mirror image stuff going on, but it's it's similar. It's alike. And so, you know, I, I think it'll be fascinating to watch that clash of styles on Saturday afternoon. Max in New West, Texan, we're, we're talking about what we want to see, what we're going to be looking for on this five-game road trip to opening the season. Uh, Max in New West says, you're going to really want to see a confident-looking Pedersen, points or no points, confidence is going to be key for him this year. And that was not just specifically the confidence, but that was high on my list as well, right? Just how does Elias Pedersen look? Because it's great to do it in the preseason and a training camp and look dialed in. We've talked about him so much and how important he is. And yeah, if he continues that vibe from game one, from the drop of the puck and on this road trip, and again, maybe, you know, he rings them off the post and the points, it's not, you know, eight points in five games or whatever, but he's looking really good. That to me is kind of, again, you can't say, oh, okay, and therefore he's going to be a Hart Trophy candidate. He's going to continue it for all 82 games. But based on his start last year, based on how important he is to this team, if he specifically continues to look like how he has in preseason, that is a major, major question answered early for me. No suspense for me. No suspense Fair for enough. me. Fair enough. Elias Pettersson's going to look like Elias Pettersson did the latter half of the season. Um, we're going to have Dmitry Filipovich on in our last segment, so after the break. And I know that in his show, which debuts today yes, on Sportsnet 650, excited. he's going to be chatting with Cam Sharon, and they did a bunch of video work on Elias Pettersson. Um, and so there, that's going to be a big topic of conversation in the next hour. I don't mean to plug another show, but do check out the no, PDO no, no. cast on. debuting <laughs> on Sportsnet 650. He's our colleague now. We're allowed to plug eh, our colleague's shows. Eh. <laughs> it's not a competitor. Dresser. He's okay. Anyway. <laughs> Tune, tune in for that because they watched a lot of video. Now, one thing that I know they'll talk about, and they'll talk about it at greater length, and uh, I won't mow their lawn too firmly here, but they watched a lot of Pedersen's shots in the first half of last season and the second half of last season. And while Pedersen will not make the excuse, will not, steadfastly will not, right? They think it's worlds different. Mm. <laughs> they think the injury impact was massive for Pedersen last year. I had a lengthy chat, actually, with Pedersen over Thanksgiving weekend on Saturday or Sunday. Anyway, one of the days. And I'll, I'll be writing a feature about what I expect from him this season and, and where his head's at. And more than anything, he doesn't want to talk about last year, yeah. right? 
Patterson doesn't really want to talk about his struggles beyond the fact that, you know, I think, and this is unsaid, this is me editorializing a bit. I think he feels like whether the shot was there or not, he felt like he played too soft. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I, that's what I get from him, even though he would never say that on record. Right. You can tell in the way that he's engaging with the public, right? There's no hype videos on his Instagram. He's one of those young people who's going through life, growing up in front of our eyes while performing at a high level and sort of shedding some of the things that didn't matter to him, that don't matter to him anymore. And it feels like he's really just focused on winning. And I think that's what we're seeing translate on the ice. Now, in terms of last season, I think he regards it as something that's going to benefit him over the long run, but it wasn't fun to go through and he doesn't want to dwell on it anymore. He's over it, even if we don't quite understand what happened yet. The idea of the two Pedersons that he presented when he first met with the media in Vancouver. Um, he's done with that. He's done with that. He's focusing and trying to shed the noise, shed what doesn't matter anymore and and sort of put, you know, winning first because everything else will take care of itself if he performs the way he can. That's sort of his approach and where he's at. Um, I think you're going to see right from the get-go, right from puck drop this season, that Pedersen's ready, like he's ready to shred this league. I think he's going to shred this league. And, you know, I think it's just been about growing up a little bit, about figuring out what really matters to him uh, in the big picture. Um, you know, I think that's sort of the process we've been watching unfold, sometimes in frustrating fashion over the course of the last two years. And, and I suspect we're going to see sort of the harvest of that huh. uh, this upcoming year, which is reason alone to tune in. The thing about the shot is interesting, and I'm going to be really curious to hear what uh, what Dimitri and Cam Sharon have to say about that. You know what stood out to me more than anything else, though? It was the puck handling and just how completely different it looked. And the la- it was confidence, but it, it also seemed to stem from a physical situation, right? It wasn't just he la- he all of a sudden lost the confidence to be aggressive and bold with the puck on his stick like we're so used to. It just felt like he physically wasn't capable of it at the same way. And then once he got going, you started to see, you know, the deeks, the the audacity that he has with the puck on his stick more consistently. And, yeah, that's one of those signs where, again, it's not just about points, but it's about the swagger he's playing with. Let's see him do his deeks, right? Make those moves. Make, make defenders look silly. He's shown it a little bit in preseason. Yeah, I think we'll see it too. But I want to see it as well, well and, right? And make no mistake, right? This is a guy who put on weight over the offseason. He's never going to give a number. He doesn't want to make headlines anymore, right? Uh, it's tougher for me, but it is what it is. <laughs> I respect it. Um, <laughs> um, but he put on weight over the course of the offseason, and he focused a lot with his trainer on improving his skating, mm-hmm. right? Which implies a ton of core work. And, and I think that shows. Like, that shows when you talk to him, when you stand next to him. Uh, additionally, a lot of work on protecting the puck, right? Just being harder to knock off of the puck. That, that Those are the things that I'm going to be watching for uh, as this season unfolds is, you know, do we see less Pedersen picking himself off the, off the ice yeah. tip generally just because of the work he's put in? Uh, that's not different, by the way, than what we saw transpire with the Twins, right, who were far easier to knock off the puck in 2002 than they were oh, by the time and it then was... they became impossible to knock off the puck <laughs> then, then, yeah. they, then they became human fire hydrants yeah with homing beacons that could alert the other <laughs> fi- fi- uh, fire hydrants it was incredible um, I'm not expecting that level of glow up from one summer in terms of being difficult to knock off the puck but I know that was a priority for him in his game um, anyway I'll, I'll write more about this we'll talk more about this tomorrow but yeah I'm not even I'm not even interested to see what Pedersen looks like in game one because I know what he's mm-hmm. gonna look like. It's gonna be fun. 
it's going to be Pedersen at his best. I'm 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 so certain of it. it. You know, there's a lot of takes, a lot of things that I talk about that I'm like, oh, I'm skeptical about the Canucks there. Like Elias Pedersen being this team's best forward this season. To me, there's no suspense. That's going to be the case. Uh, one last one before we get out and uh, welcome Dmitry Filipovich. And in the next segment, Marcus and Gibson says, I really hope on this road trip the team can be structured enough to give Spencer Martin a chance at getting a win or two in the back-to-backs. There's only one back-to-back, so you would anticipate yeah, him getting one of those Washington or Columbus games, which are on Monday and Tuesday. And the point about structure is well taken, but just also in general. Does Spencer Martin get off to a good start, right? Does he start to continue to earn and build that trust with the coaching staff where they feel like they can use him and significantly, meaningfully lessen Thatcher Demko's workload? Well, and it's not just the workload in terms of games played. It's the workload in terms of chances faced. It's the workload in terms of the mental strain that comes with being your team's, you know, last and sole line of goal prevention, frankly. You know, I think the test for Spencer Martin is vital because he needs to be good enough that the club at no point is tempted to do what they did last February and March where they simply rode Demko into the ground with you know although Demko insists that the injury that he later sustained had nothing to do with the uh, with overwork or being overtaxed like come on we all know what happens to goalies when they get overused in this league it's almost never pretty um, the Canucks really have to be careful with their best player particularly because of the strain that's likely to be on him based on the quality of this defense uh, in terms of the chances that he's facing on a night-to-night basis. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Dmitry Filipovich, host of the Hockey PDO cast, joins us in studio next right here on Sportsnet 650. What's going on? Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here with you. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are now very excited very excited to be joined uh, live in the Kintech studio. He is the host of the Hockey PDO cast, the newest member of the 650 and Sportsnet Radio Network family. Because he will be doing the Hockey PDO cast on these very airwaves, he is, of course, Dmitry Filipovich. Dmitry, how's it going? It's going good, just getting used to these new uh, fancy digs that we got yeah. going on here. Well, fancy <laughs> is a relative term compared yeah. to what we used to have. So, well, yeah. c- Compared to my home office, I think it's a big step. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, Kintech. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Kintech for <laughs> raising the standard here at Sportsnet 650. So, Dim, we're going to try and have you on pretty regularly over the course of the next uh, season anyway. Yep. Um, you know, you're going to be following our program. And one thing we thought we'd tap into, because you're a Vancouver-based hockey writer here but you mm-hmm. watch an outrageous amount of games you're you're the foremost watch the games truther i know yes and <laughs> you watch a lot of out of market you know in fact you probably watch more out of market than you do the canucks uh, certainly which makes you very different yes. than most vancouver hockey writers for sure as such we figured we'd try and do something we're, we're gonna call tentatively yeah the pdo report okay the pdo report where and and we'll have more to discuss as the season goes along like what ways guys are trending but uh, as a preview of every week up on tap we figured we'd ask you about some of the teams the Canucks are playing and how you see them stacking up against that team what matchups to watch for what should fans who aren't as familiar with some of these teams as you are uh, be focused on to best enjoy the games you ready for this I like how you frame that and tee that up as like it was supposed to be a compliment that I watch a lot of hockey yeah. So that it like 
kind of enforces my expertise sure. on the matter, but it actually sounded super depressing when you were saying it. Like, Trust me, this guy is so depraved. He watches, he's watching Columbus, Nashville on a nightly basis. On a nightly basis. This guy has nothing else going yes. on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the preview. I don't think that's nothing else going on. Hey, hey, Columbus, Nashville could be a good matchup. It's not like he's watching San Jose Phoenix. Yes, yes. Uh, before we get into the, the preview, will do that too. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have also listened and been regular listeners to uh, to the PDO cast. For those who haven't had the chance, tell us a little bit about what we can expect from the show just today, but also just going forward here on Sportsnet. Yeah, well, it's it's more of a national show as opposed yeah. to focusing entirely on the Canucks, of course, and, and, and the Flames, even though we'll be airing live in those markets. But um, yeah, I, listen, as Thomas said, I watch a ton of hockey, um, and I try to combine that sort of eye test, if you want to call it that, with the with the analytics and show that both of those really can mesh. It doesn't necessarily have to be confrontational one or the other. And, and in fact, at times, they really do go hand in hand and kind of supplement each other. So um, it's just a lot of deep dives on very kind of niche, nerdy subjects. Um, and hopefully the listeners are going to enjoy that and come along for the ride with us. When I already plugged that you've got Elias Pettersson takes. Oh, today is, we got a full 15 minutes section Let's on go. Elias Pettersson. Yeah, so look Excellent. forward to that. Yeah. Can we get a tiny preview? Well, I heard you talking before I came on, okay. and and I completely I, I completely agree with you. I think what I saw from him in the second half last season is I think going to carry over. He's going to be much more uh, aggressive and much more his shot is going to really kind of carry the day. And I, I'm I'm expecting huge things from him and a really high goal total. And I don't want to kind of give away too much because no. Cam and I are going to talk about the power play as well and kind of how that ties into all of it. But um, I think the sky's the limit for him this season. Cam's going to be so excited about Connor Garland net front. He yes. might be the only guy more excited about it than me <laughs> and Connor Garland. Uh, <laughs> so it starts with the Canucks tomorrow night against the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton getting uh, a lot of love. Uh, you know, Bruce Boudreaux called them probably the favorite in the division today. Mm-hmm. What's your kind of, you know, before we dig down into the niche, the nerdy and all that, the kind of granular level, what's your kind of big picture view of the Oilers coming off, uh, you know, conference final appearance last season coming into this year? I mean, it's going to be kind of more of the same, right? Like, I think with um, the role that Dylan Holloway looks like he's going to play in this lineup and Ryan McLeod's emergence, they have young complementary players that are hopefully going to take away some of those depth concerns that they had in previous years. So it won't necessarily just be McDavid, Dreisaitl, and then kind of a, a cast of, of randoms. Um, and they brought in Jack Campbell, of course, and hopefully they're going to at least get kind of league average goaltending from him this season. But it's kind of what we've come to expect from them. I think they're going to score a ton of goals. Their power play is going to be either the first, second, or third best in the league. And there's going to be nights where they get into these 6-5, 7-6 back-and-forth games, and it's going to make them incredibly watchable. But I think there's still legitimate questions about them as like a true contender. What are some of your legitimate questions? <laughs> I, mean, I, I I kind of just brought them up, right? Like I think I think the depth is still a bit of a question mark. I think yeah. the blue line um, is also a bit of a question mark, even though like Cody CC used to be kind of an analytics punching bag in terms of and, you know, and now he's awesome. And last year in the playoffs, he was legitimately a top pairing yeah. defenseman. Brett Kulak um, also. Brett Kulak is also awesome. So yeah. like I, I like the pieces there. I actually think like the past two off seasons, I've liked quite a bit of the moves they've made in terms of they've actually been pretty logical. I went into them expecting to make fun of Ken Holland and they actually have come away improving their team. Yeah. Um, but I think the specific is still, especially at the top, like pretty wide open. I, I wouldn't declare anyone necessarily like a lock to, to run away with no. it. Or so, but I would call, I would, I would favor Calgary as a, as like, as a favorite, I think it's Calgary. That would be me and Vegas agreeing on that. What do, what's your take? Do you know what, what uh, Vegas has their uh, preseason lines at in terms of the, the over-under point totals, I'm really curious. I can. Uh, I haven't looked at it, but... I can get that quickly. Let's go. Uh, you know what? Actually, I do know off the top of my head. I don't actually have to check. On points, so point yes. totals, yeah. both are 102.5. Okay. 
I like the over on both. Yeah. Personally. So you think they're going to kind of just the top teams in the Pacific are going to beat up on San Jose and Arizona to the point where... Well, Arizona's, like Arizona's in the central. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. But, but to the point where like they're just going to be kind of I, hoarding I, a lot of those points. I think there's a real chance that the central is a lot worse than people think. Yeah. I think there I think there's a real chance that there's one good team in the central and like two solid teams in the central in St. Louis and Minnesota. I think St. Louis and Minnesota are both going to be pretty good. Uh, yeah, okay, but like not a, like elite, but it's like Colorado and then them and I think that's three really good teams. And then and but then, I, I think there's a real chance that Dallas is not a playoff team this year. I right. think there's a real chance that Nashville's not a playoff team this year, although the I two think, O and O Nashville Predators. Well, and I mean <laughs> The, I, I, I watched four more points they, than anyone I watched, in the league. I watched some of those games, and first of all, the Sharks, the Sharks are a bunch of guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, all the all the Oilers depth randos now play for San Jose. Uh, also, um, I think I think Niederreiter is a really big ad for the Nashville Predators. I was pretty low on them, and not that like Niederreiter scoring some goals has changed my mind, but man, he's a big addition to that the roster. Sh- the Sharks, oh my god! If you pull, <laughs> if you, if you pull up their daily face off page, you're just like. When did they add all of these players? I was telling Jamie that I thought I could stump him naming five Sharks players <laughs> yeah. and and asking him to declare whether or not they were Sharks players or middle relievers for the Phillies. Yeah. Like, you know, that did, you, is... did, did you get them? Jamie, <laughs> well, I don't think we went through the whole process. Because okay. <laughs> unfortunately, I already had the Sharks cap friendly page pulled up. So I was like, yeah. well, I'm cheating here. Yeah. <laughs> Noah Gregor is if definitely. You had, if, if you had got to me before I pulled it up, then we'd probably be having a conversation. Yeah. Noah Gregor, not good in leverage. Anyway, I actually like Noah Gregor as a player. Anyway. Um, with regards to Edmonton, yeah. one thing I'm curious about. Everyone assumes that they've upgraded in goal, but Mike Smith was good for them. Yeah. Do you think they're... He certainly had peaks and valleys. He had yeah. peaks and valleys. You, but... don't, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> but he was w- way sturdier than I had, you know, than I would have given him credit for beyond the se- uh, before the season. I think he was a way bigger part of their success last year than, you know, people like to admit. Yeah. Uh, how confident are you? that they are better in net this season than they were last? Well, I would never assign any level of confidence to anything goal, goal related, like, <laughs> yeah. other than, like, the very, like, Vasilevsky and then everyone else, I'd be like, yeah, anything could happen. Um, what I would say is I agree with you that the, that the highs actually were much higher than I thought they'd be. I thought the lows were still there, and I think while I wouldn't have given Jack Campbell the contract that they did, I think especially in year one, I think it's safe to kind of project more uh, reliability or consistency in terms of like if they're just getting 915 to 917 save percentage every single night, that might be good enough for yeah. that team considering how many goals we're projecting them to score. Rather than like 880, Rather then than, 940, then 885. And, well, of course, yeah. sometimes the Mike experience is you give up four goals in the first seven shots you face, and then all right. of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, this is kind of a, a – this is kind of a lost game for us in a sense, right? Whereas with Campbell, I think there, there's going to be some of those blow-ups, but I think it's going to be much more kind of that 9-15, which is yeah. exactly what I think they need. Right. Fair. With Edmonton and Vancouver, what what about that matchup in particular uh, should Canucks fans be looking for? What do you think proves decisive in how these teams uh, match up? Well, it looks like at least a start. And I know that, um, you know, in the postseason, they kind of strayed away from this because Leandre Seidel was clearly playing on one leg. So they took the center duties off of him and, mm-hmm. and put him and McDavid together. It seems like now that he's healthy, we know that Jay Woodcroft would kind of prefer that that dead depth through the lineup. So it's going to look like it's going to be one-two uh, on the top two lines. How are the Canucks going to match up? with Like, like what are they going to do as a matchup pair against McDavid's line? And how do they handle that speed? Because... Not that there's a right answer for anyone in the league, but 
that seems like it's going to be a bit of a problem. I, I would assume I Miller. So. <laughs> I would assume Miller, Pearson, Besser. Against McDavid. Yeah. And then... And with Quinn Hughes, all, all, you know, shadowing as much as possible. And then I would expect Ekman, Larson, Pullman, and Horvat. Horvat against, uh, against Dreisaitl. Yeah, that seems like probably... Yeah, that's, tough. Bet, which... that's a good way of putting it. It's <laughs> a tough assignment for a bunch of those players to yeah, be going is. up against well, McDavid I, and Dreisaitl. I don't love that foot speed that you just mentioned, other than Quinn Hughes, of course, mm-hmm. on the on the McDavid assignment. So that would certainly be concerning. But like I said, you kind of if you go into a game against the Oilers, you're sort of expecting to lose those minutes anyway. So right. you just kind of have to turtle as much as you can and hope they're not so catastrophic that it's over um, for everyone else. But that's kind of what I'd be what I'd be looking for. And then I think. Like the special teams, I think both of those teams are going to have top five power plays, I'd project. So. Yeah. One thing that the Canucks and the Oilers have in common is they made the midseason coaching change last year. Mm. What did you see, if anything, that really changed from how the Oilers were playing their style of play once uh, Woodcroft came in last year? Oh, it was night and day. Like, it was it was everything you'd hope to see, right? It was all of our question marks or, or I guess, frustrations with what they were doing under Dave Tippett basically got alleviated overnight. Like they started playing their young players, they started trusting Ryan McLeod. They started trusting some of their some of these rather than just kind of throwing all the veterans out there just because mm-hmm. they've heard of those guys before. Um, they limited the amount of point shots they were taking, and they started funneling much more of their offense through their top players and trying to get closer to the net, which is what you want to do when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl. And like all of their five on five metrics went up significantly. Um, they actually, funny enough, throughout the regular season, limited their usage. Of McDavid and Dreisaitl because there were nights before where those guys would play 25, 26, 27 minutes each and instead they really spread the wealth much more throughout the lineup and balance those minutes and I think that helped in terms of McDavid knowing that he could just go kind of full blast for 21 minutes as opposed to having to kind of pace himself throughout right. a 60. So I, I really loved what Jay Woodcroft did last year and, and, and I think that's a full season of that and him being kind of open to to tinkering and not being so rigid in his ways should provide a lot of confidence for Oilers fans. Interesting to ask you to contrast what you saw from Woodcroft after the change with what you saw from Boudreaux after the change and, and this Canucks team, particularly because while their five-on-five metrics didn't spike, a lot of the leaning on younger guys and, and fewer specialists uh, stuff is, is pretty common. Um, how do you think the Canucks played under Boudreaux aside from the obvious sort of 106 point percentage or 106 point pace uh, outcomes that they had. I think it was a similar, um, similar thing in the sense that it was much less kind of trying to jam a square peg into a round hole of like, Mm. it felt like under Travis green, they were like so set and okay, we want to play this certain way. And maybe they felt defensively they would be exposed otherwise. So they were, they didn't really have the personnel to try to grind it out and try to cycle as much as they were doing under him. And so I thought when Boudreaux came in, like he installed much more pace, um, much more kind of just like trying to play around the players they actually have. And that's what you want to see from your coach. So mm-hmm. I guess the question for me is like, we know with, with Boudreaux, he comes in, he's like a very, uh, a guy that you kind of like want to play for and, and can really kind of pump you up. But also after a while, that can kind of grate on you a little bit. And I'm kind of curious to see whether like that, that dead cat balance of, the improvement they had after the coaching change, whether that can sustain to a full season moving forward now that, that he's already been in place. Do you see or do you cons- get concerned at all uh, as an eye test guy that looks at data mm. about the fact that, you know, in Sutter's case, the Flames looked completely different in terms of their five on five profile. Yeah. In Edmonton's case, they look completely different under Woodcroft in t- terms of their five on five profile. With the Canucks, it was like slightly higher event, but really the five on five profile was the same yeah. under both uh, coaches. 
uh, before and after the change. Does that concern you in terms of its sustainability? It does, but I think that's kind of that should be baked into our projection of this team. I, I ultimately think no matter who the coach is, considering the personnel involved, there's only so much you could get out of this team from a 5-on-5 five five perspective. I think if they can just kind of tread water at 5-on-5 five five and mm-hmm. combine that with a top power play and top goaltending, like we've seen that formula work, right? Yes. And it can be a bit unnerving because you'd obviously prefer to be dominating 55% of the possession every single night at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, that's much more sustainable. But that's just not in the cards for this team based on the players they have. So. Yeah. Working around that, I do think there is a formula that can succeed, even though like it can be a bit unnerving. We're talking to Dmitry Filipovich here. He's the host of the Hockey PDO cast here on Canucks Talk, uh, the first edition on on Sportsnet 650 and Sportsnet Radio Network, coming up at 2. Looking ahead on the Canucks road trip, this opening five-game road trip, Saturday, the Philadelphia Flyers and... Uh, you know, Drance and I were talking yesterday. I think I, I forget who. Oh, it was to Jeff Merrick. Drance said that the Canucks lead the league in uh, in creating drama, and I had to correct him that say actually the Philadelphia Flyers exist and might take the crown there. Purely from an on ice perspective, right? Because we're all watching, waiting to see how this blows up, what it looks like, and all that. From an on ice perspective, what is your impression of the Philadelphia Flyers going into the season? Oh my gosh. Uh, this... <laughs> Tom, I mean, I don't know if you want to step here and here because I don't, I don't want to get in trouble by, by saying uh, words that I can't say on radio. But <laughs> the, 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 like, I was going to say, remember, this is live radio, it's, not it's, a podcast. It's, it's a very, uh, it's very classic Flyers, in the sense that like they like went so hard this off season after this like ideal of what whatever they wanted to be, and then you look at the final result of it and how much they've invested in this team, and. I mean, it's stunning. They're down bad. Like, they're, yeah, they're, they're down bad. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it. Like, I think they're, they're like Chicago and and Arizona are clearly the front runners for the tanking. No one's close I to think, Arizona, by the way. We have to, we have to. I think stop. Like, Chicago shouldn't even be lumped in with Arizona. I think the Flyers have potential this season, though, especially as the season goes along, really? to really make a bid. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, Arizona, I don't man. think anyone's touching Arizona. Me neither. Be- and now we'll see what happens with like Patrick Kane the, the and Black Hawks, The Blackhawks just claimed Jared Tenorti. Like I think the Blackhawks are going for it, too. <laughs> well, they had to replace Riley Stillman. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, John Tortorella, though. Yeah. Plays aggressively. Right. I tend to think you don't want to bump into his teams early in the season. Right. Especially when they're bad. Yes. Because um, you know... He's going to get, like, a bunch out of this group for, like, 15 games, and then it's going to all fall apart. But don't you think there could be some games early on here where there's, like, message sending that goes bad in terms of, like, him not like playing good Benching play, a good, good player. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. That like, could absolutely happen. Yeah. So I think I could, like, you can make an argument both ways for that. Right. This is, like, very, uh, no, very intangibles-based conversation. Like, I, no, I have no idea how it But you're right. Way, John but... Tortorella is such a wild card. Yeah. That they could be an annoyingly, like, disciplined opponent. Early in the season, the or per- they could be a tire fire. The personnel is just not good. It's really bad. Like, I think if, if Paturier and list. Ryan Ellis were healthy, yeah. it would have been entirely different, yeah. of course. But, like, with those two losses so, right out of the gate, I mean. How about this? If you are ever stuck and the only hockey game available you have to watch yeah. features the Philadelphia Flyers, mm-hmm. who should you zero in on? Who gives you the best, like, okay, at least I can find entertainment and take joy out of what this player is doing on the ice? Well, you know what? Assuming he's healthy and it sounds you know, by all indications that he finally is after a really um, tumultuous season last year health-wise. Uh, Kevin Hayes, uh, I really enjoy watching him, especially on the penalty kill. Like, he's kind of a one-man show out there in terms of, uh, you know, just kind of 
hoarding the puck to himself yeah. and, and making and killing 15, 20 seconds at a time. So, um, you know, you can probably tell that I'm stretching myself a little bit thin here <laughs> in terms of picking uh, watchability components. When you first flyers, go to the penalty kill. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not ideal. I mean, like like Tom said, I think the, the combustion potential here for them with Tortorella is going to be interesting enough, especially at the start of the year to tune yeah. in. Just to like, I feel like there's going to be nights where people are like, are you watching this Flyers game right now? Yeah, well, you might not want to watch the games, although, as yeah. you said, there could be a blow-up and it could be 9-1 or something in right. the third period. You'll definitely want to watch the post-game press conferences and with John Tortorella. And the highlights. Yeah, and the highlights as well. Yeah, you're just occasionally going to see like Philadelphia sports Twitter going ham about the outcomes, and, and then you're going to be like, okay... I guess I'll t- t- turn to them on sports. Really, now. really better hope that the Sixers hit and are good this year. Yeah, <laughs> keep the oh. spotlight away from the Flyers well, as the much Eagles, as possible. Right? Yeah, they got the yeah, Eagles, that's true. and, that's and true. the Sixers are going to hit. Hey, let's talk about the Capitals. Mm. I have a theory about the Capitals. Yeah, I think they're going to miss Justin Schultz more than we have any right to expect them to miss Justin Schultz. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It is a take. I actually okay. Here's my here's my take. In terms of what to watch for, my hot take is that Dmitry Orlov is like one of the ten oh, most exciting so defensemen to watch yeah, in the entire league that no one has outside of Washington, I'm sure, has ever had any conversations about. I, I also, I also have a lot of time for Nick Jensen. Nick Jensen's good. Martin Ferravari is legitimately awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, John Carlson still puts up a lot of points and rides out that reputation. Um, but they have, they, they have, they have a good player. They're kind of. They're bringing it back. Of course, they made you know the up- upgrades. They brought in Connor Brown. They brought in uh, Dylan Strom as well. Um, Strom's a big ad. For I think them. it's gonna be a good team. It's kind of like with them and the Penguins. It's a little bit boring because I think they're gonna win a lot of games. But from a, a talking points perspective, it's like it's a lot more of the same. The Capitals pro scouting for like a decade now just doesn't miss. Mm. They're so good at adding a guy like Connor Brown and then getting ten percent more out of him than he would than other teams do. Like they they just consistently do it. It feels like they've done it again with those two. Like Strom at, what, three and a half on a one-year deal? I mean, that feels like the perfect system, particularly because they're not built around playing very fast. I feel like they're they're going to play exactly to his strengths, uh, and obviously they're going to need a playmaking center with Nicholas Backstrom's Yeah, and and we talked a lot last year on the show, Drancer, about how the Canucks seem to fare a lot better against the teams that maybe rely more on their size or their their weight than uh, than the teams that rely on the speed and the skill. Washington definitely fits into that. Obviously, they have skill, but they're not that up-tempo, fast-paced team anymore. Although they have, in Orlov and uh, Jensen in particular, a couple of guys who can play that, like, holding mid style of defense like they can legitimately rush the puck and break a four check so uh, you know I think the Caps are a, a tougher matchup for Vancouver than your average like lughead team yeah I mean the games they played against the Panthers last year around Wano were an affront to hockey like and, and they almost got away with it right like they pushed them they really easily it was, could have won that series it was they a, probably should have won it, it was a brutally deep one through one it was oh my god sorry and was... as bad as that was it was even worse when the Tampa Bay Lightning copied it to a T. <laughs> like, the fact that the Tampa Bay Lightning were just like, oh, let's do what they did, except with Victor Hedman being the b- guy back, it was brutal. It was really tough to watch. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, you know, they don't replicate that in the re- these regular season games. I don't think they will. So. I-, I love the Lightning being this small, skilled team that, like, lived long enough. You know, like, yes. you either die the hero as the small, skilled team, or you live long enough to become the most cynical park-the-bus team we've, well, we've ever seen. Even and the Capitals. 
Yeah, that's like, true. The start of this run, it was, oh, the high-flying Washington Capitals. And there was truth to that, right? And now we're talking about how, oh, they're big and Hard tough. Scrabble and don't have that much speed. Veteran savvy with the one three one, right? You, you always turn into that eventually. I guess except the Leafs, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it's this year for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, quickly, just last team on this road trip. We've only got about 90 seconds here. But uh, thought on Johnny Gaudreau and the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, me too. I don't think they're going to get the results they were hoping for, but I think from a watchability perspective, they're going to be really fun, especially with some of the young guys they have taking on more prominent roles. I do think we'll have to replace them. They were always the go-to. Like, we even made the joke earlier when we brought you on, right? Oh, oh, he'll watch, you know, Nashville and whoever. And Columbus, I think. I think we're going to have to sub them out from that joke as the ultimate boring NHL team. Chicago, Arizona. Yeah. It's well, Chicago, that one is, no, that one is interesting from a morbid curiosity yes. perspective, though. I don't think it is. I think it is. No, I don't think so. I just want to see what, who won so that I can adjust my draft lottery odds and, and move on with my life. All right, that is going to do it for us. Uh, big thank you to Dmitry Filipovich for joining us in studio. Again, the debut here on the Sportsnet Radio Network of the Hockey PDO cast is coming up right after this show. It'll be on every day at 2 o'clock. We're excited to have Dimitri as part of the show here on Canucks Talk as well. Don't forget, Canucks, game day tomorrow, first game of the regular season against the Edmonton Oilers. We will be back tomorrow to get it all broken down for you. Plus, of course, uh, we will have our season preview, Canucks picks, playoff picks, all of that and more. Pre-game coverage full, of course, as you're used to here on 650, Batch and Randeep with the call. That'll do it for us. We are back tomorrow on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.